Welcome to the Calvary Assembly podcast with weekly messages from Calvary Assembly of God Church in Lexington, Nebraska. You can find out more online at lexag.org and on Facebook at Calvary Assembly Lex. Thanks for listening. Uh, Brad Shelley been in Nebraska about 10 years now, so nine years, maybe, long time. So would you give a big Calvary welcome to Brad and Shelley Novosad this morning? Yeah. Oh, wow. Thank you. No, no. Am I on? Am I on? Am I on? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, no, no, no. Seriously. No, no, no. No, no, no. Yes. No, no, no. Seriously. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Wow. That is a, that is a great, great uh, welcome from Calvary Assembly. Uh, I'm from Ord, Nebraska. So from Ord to Ordway, that was my motto uh, there, and I forgot Pumpkin Center. When you said that, it all came back to me, and that drive, and uh, man, if, if you've never seen tumbleweeds before, I was talking to somebody else about this. I mean, like, legit tumbleweeds in this part of the, of the world, and when you're driving out there, I, I think in the fall, when is it, and, and, and like the wind's blowing hard, and there are these monster tumbleweeds coming at you anyway, and so I'm like, all right, you know, you know, trying to hit them, and I don't know, anyway, thank you so much, church, for welcoming us, for having us. We had such a fantastic time last night with you all, such awesome food, great fellowship, uh, thank you, uh, Rex and Amy, for having us and welcoming us again. And so, yeah, we are the Novosad family. My wife, Shelly. Shelly, stand up. She never gets recognized. She is my better half. I always say um, I really don't like taking her with me because people like her more than they like me. And so because I, wanted, I was the eighth of nine kids, I want to be the center of attention. You know, that's my entire goal in my life. So, um so anyway, uh, we're the Novosads. Up here is a picture of us. Uh, you have our son from right to left is our son Isaac. He's the oldest. And then Emma, she's our baby. She's a sophomore in high school. Then Julia and Evan. And we are just excited about all that God is doing in us as a family and through our ministry. We're with Chi Alpha Campus Ministries. So Chi Alpha, like, like Pastor Rex was saying, Chi Alpha is the missions arm of the Assemblies of God designed to send missionaries onto our secular colleges and universities in America. And we're on about uh, 300 or so campuses around the country. Um, in Nebraska, we are at Shadron State University as well as University of Nebraska Omaha. You guys support uh, Tanner Sherlock. He's up in Shadron State. He and Courtney have been directing that for about seven years now up there. We have a brand new work with a, a, a guy named Samuel Gingrich in uh, Omaha. He's just pioneering that work there. And uh, so exciting. I do work in the Great Plains area, so the D- Dakotas, Minnesota, Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri. Um, yeah, every department of the Assemblies of God divides that up differently for some reason. I don't get it. I don't know why, but that's what, you know, that's what it is for Chi Alpha. And so, yeah, we, we need to continue to send, uh, you know, our Chi Alpha workers onto campus, you know, because students at this time of their life, I was talking to the, uh, the Sunday school, the, the uh, high school, middle school, Sunday school class, and asking some really good questions. Uh, but, you know, as I was just 
you know, it's, it's thinking about those kids and what's going to be happening in their lives, right? Over the next few years, there was the, the question of how do you prepare for what's ahead, you know, that kind of thing. Because what's going to happen is they're going to leave home and there's three, there's three fundamental changes that happen at this time of life. You develop autonomy. Who am I? Who am I going to be now that I'm leaving home for the first time? Am I going to retain those same values that, that my church, that my parents, you know, poured into me? They're developing purpose. What is, what is my life going to mean to this world? What am I going to do, you know, for a job? Or what am I going to do for my life or for my work? And, and then they're developing meaningful relationships, right? So who will do this life with me or who will accept me for who I am? And so really our ministry to the, to the university campuses in America, you know, our Chi Alpha works on the campus to meet students as they're going through those developmental changes in their life, as they're, as they're developing that autonomy, as they're going through that change of saying, who am I now that I'm doing this? You know, we want to make sure that their identity is firmly placed in Jesus Christ, that they firmly understand who they are in Jesus. And, and almost everything we do points back to that. Everything we do as a ministry points back to that because, especially today, identity is being attacked more than ever on our college campuses. And so we want to make sure that our students understand who they are in Christ and what they have in him. As they're, as they're going through and, and discovering, you know, that purpose, you know, as we're, as we're interacting with students on the campus, you know, we want to make sure, you know, when they're, they're asking the question, you know, what am I going to do for my work? You know, that's why I'm here. I'm here to get a degree and get a, and get a job. We want our students to start asking that question, what does God want to do with my life, right? You know, um, what, what is it that, how has God made me? How has he uniquely knit me together uh, for the work that he has for me in this world? So we want them to get a really good, grab a hold of God and, and what God has. And then we, you know, my job, my role in Chi Alpha now, um, I, so we, we're from Nebraska. We were sent out by a Christ Place church in Lincoln in 1999, a long time ago. <laughs> Um, and so we've been with Chi Alpha for over 20 years. We moved uh, to North Carolina to do Chi Alpha. I pioneered Chi Alpha at NC State University and then UNC Chapel Hill. Go Tar Heels. Did anybody watch that game yesterday? Come on. If you picked Baylor, ha, ha, ha. Anyway, all right, that was my uh, Go Heels um, moment there. Um, so I was on campus with some students when Roy Williams won his first national championship, you know, so what can I say? Um, so we pioneered a ministry there and then we moved to Colorado, pioneered a ministry in uh, Colorado Springs. And uh, about nine years ago, we moved back here to Nebraska so I could take on the role of, of the district Chi Alpha director as well as working in the Great Plains area. So really my role is helping Chi Alpha plant healthy Christian communities on the college campus. And so when, when students are developing, you know, they're really, in, especially those first few weeks of the, of the semester, of their freshman year, they are looking for which group, who will, who will I, you know, be friends with, and, and what group will I be a part of. And so we want to make sure that there's healthy Christian community on those campuses that welcome the students right where they're at. You know, when students are, again, especially today with so many different uh, identity issues happening in, in lives. We want to make sure that we are there as Christians saying, we accept you right where you're at. You know, let's do life together, right? Because God accepted each one of us right where we are, right? Amen? <laughs> 
And so we want to have that kind of hard attitude uh, for, for students as they're coming onto the college campus. But we need to be sending missionaries onto our college campuses uh, today, pr- probably more than ever, because, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, things happening on our college campuses that really don't happen anywhere else. You know, the, the, the college campus, the, col- the, um, the college campus, uh, the university campus, uh, is really the steering wheel of our society. As goes the campus, so goes the culture. The things we see happening on our college campuses in America, the ideas that are happening in our university lecture halls that are being led by a professor who has a certain agenda or whatever and, and then is picked up by a few students, all of a sudden, a few years later, we start seeing those things being played out in, in American culture. And so we need to make sure, again, that we are sending missionaries to the college campus and, and to help our students realize the truth of Christ. I was telling uh, Pastor Rex and I have been talking about, you know, some of the important things, you know, as far as Chi Alpha or just, you know, what's happening in our, in our younger generation. And I'm telling you, now more than ever, we need to know the truth of Scripture and what it says. And so we are making sure, um, and, and you know, especially now, that our ministries are sticking to the truth and helping to teach the truth of the, of the Scripture, the truth about Christ. And so uh, another reason we need to be sending missionaries is because of the large unchurched population on our campuses, a growing number of secular students. You know, there's evidence pointing to uh, America going to be, you know, f- over 50% un- non-religious here soon. You know, so there's just a growing secular population in America of unreached people. And then we also want to um, be a bridge between the church and the campus. You know, as students are coming, and I, I, you, maybe you've heard the statistics, but there's, you know, just an overwhelming numbers of students as they graduate our youth groups and move on and go to, you know, I think out of the 60,000 or so uh, Assembly of God youth that graduate, 5% go to an AG school. Another 60-plus percent go to a secular college or university. Right, So too much has been poured into these kids' lives. Too much has been invested into them for us just to kind of like, well, I hope it goes well. We'll see you. Pat them on the back and, you know, and send them off. We want to make sure that we are, there's a, bit, a bridge being built between the, the church and the campus. So everything that's been invested from that point up, we can, we can take over and, and, yeah, and just kind of take, take that on. And then we also need to be sending out missionaries because it, I believe the university campus is the most strategic mission field we have in America today. You know, the future leaders of this area, of our, of our state, of our, of our country, are studying on our university campuses in America today. And literally the best and the brightest from all over the world are being sent to American campuses, you know, to study. And so the world is literally coming to us. And I think Pastor Rex was saying, I can't remember how many nations or countries are even represented here in Lexington are being sent here. The, the worlds are coming to us, and we can reach them right here. The world is in our own backyard. It's on our doorstep. And so we believe if we can change the college campus, we can literally change the world. And so, so that's a, a little bit of, of an opening about who we are, what we do um, in, in ministry as far as Chi Alpha. 
But uh, like Pastor Rex was saying, my other role is uh, I'm the uh, missions director of the Assemblies of God here in Nebraska. And uh, I, I just want to say again, thank you. Thank you so much, Calvary Church, for supporting uh, missions so well. You know, I, I think Rex said, you know, I'm going to share kind of how it, how it works. But he already did. You know, there is no, <laughs> this is how missions get supported right here at this level. If it doesn't happen here, it doesn't happen. Okay, let me just say it that way. And so thank you because you guys are making it happen. And, uh, you know, and I look at, uh, you know, just the missionaries on, on my Nebraska missionary list and the ones that you guys, uh, you know, supporting the, the Davises, Fishers, Hossies, Spains, you know, uh, we have the Zitterkoffs and Hubbles right here. Um, would you guys stand up? Let's give, a, let's give a hand to the Hubbles, the Zitterkoffs. Uh, part of our missions family right here. Um, yeah, awesome. <laughs> you can sit down, Dan. That's fine. I know you wanted to stay. Um, but this, that's, you know, these people like us, people like the Zitterkoffs, the Hubbles, the Novosads, we, God calls us to do something, and we need people like you to help send us out. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. But I just want to say well done. Calvary Church, you know, for uh, $92,000 plus dollars raised for going well over your goal. They don't give me a budget to give you like a plaque or anything. So I wanted to give you guys a gold star for that this morning. Thank you so much. Well done for that. And for, um, yeah, for when I looked at, so there are right now uh, nine appointed missionaries, right, in uh, U.S. missions. Uh, the three of us are appointed missionaries. You, you know, you start out kind of as an M.A. And then, re- and then work your way up or whatever, and AGWM has five appointed missionaries. When I looked at which churches in Nebraska were supporting all of our appointed missionaries, there was only one, only one church that was doing that. Guess which church it was? Good way to go, Calvary Assembly. Yeah. Your second gold star. Actually, it's the same one, and I'm keeping it. But way to go. Well done, church. And uh, um, I'm excited to be here, to be here on your Faith Promise Sunday, Mission Sunday. Um, and so I hopefully... Hopefully everyone got one of these as you were coming in. Uh, if you did not, make sure you grab one of these cards. It's basically a way for you to put your information on here and to say, God, what is it? What is it you would have us to do this year for missions? And, and again, just so excited for, uh, you know, to have you guys have missionaries in your congregation that you're coming alongside and, and supporting. You're supporting a lot of our other Nebraska missionaries. I think Tim Shamala, you guys... You know, I don't know if everybody knows that or not, but you guys raised like $11,000 to help buy a vehicle for, for Tim, who's not a Nebraska missionary, but is connected strongly here and needed a, needed a vehicle for what he's doing. And so, well done. You know, I know Tim. Tim and I have met a few times. I first ran into Tim, actually, in, in India. I was leading a team of campus pastors over there so we could go around and see the needs uh, that, you know, so our, our campuses could lead teams over there. And I ran into Tim in Bangalore, India, 
uh, at a Bible school. We were, we were speaking at a Bible school, and it was like, oh, there's a guy from Nebraska. And we were like, what? You know, what in the world? And so we, we connected there. It was really cool. But um, So we went to various uh, places around India at that time. But one of the places we went to was Varanasi. Varanasi um, is a very, very unique place like I had, I'd never been to before. And it's a Hindu holy city. So, so the goal of all the Hindus in India really is to bring their dead to Varanasi. Actually to die in Varanasi if they can, but to bring their dead to Varanasi. And so um, they have these uh, ghats, G-H-A-T, ghats, where they burn bodies. And I think they said uh, this city, they call it the oldest city in the world, it's 3,000 years old. And the, and the fires uh, in Varanasi have been burning for thousands of years. And what it is, is they wrap these dead bodies up and they take them down to the Ganges River. So the Ganges River runs right by, um, right by Varanasi. It's considered uh, uh, holy. The, the river's considered holy. So they basically holy water. And so they go and they, they dip these bodies, they wash them in the river, then they come up and burn these bodies. And there's, you know, as we were standing there, there was just body after body after body. Being, being washed and then burned as we watched that. I've never seen anything like that. The smells of, you know, just everything that was happening was just, it was overwhelming. But for them, this is salvation. This is nirvana, basically. This, is, this breaks the cycle of reincarnation for them if, if, they can, if they can make this happen. And so it's just like, wow. I mean, just you're standing there and you're just going, my goodness, I've never seen anything like this. The next morning, um, we were with our uh, tour guide, Joe Gordon. Um, this is being recorded, so I'm, you know, I have to be careful. Um, he, uh, <laughs> Joe Gordon, we were standing on the banks of the Ganges River, and he was kind of pointing out. He was, and, and, you know, they have this huge celebration we were at the night before where they do a celebration every evening, a very colorful, uh, loud, you know, musical celebration to the river. Thousands of people there. Thousands of people, and then the next morning we're there down there praying by the river, and and he's like, you know, there are hundreds of millions of people who make their living off of this river, who have never heard the name of Jesus, and you know, I was just struck for the first time. You hear things like that, right? And you just like, okay, you know, I don't. But I think for the first time in my life, I realized. The, uh, the number of people who have never heard about Jesus, the number of unreached people in the world. You know, we still have in, a, in the world today, we still have 6,500 unreached people groups in the world. 6,500 unreached people groups have never been reached with the gospel. So with the 7 billion people in the world, they say there's about 2 billion Christians. We have 5 billion people who need Jesus in this world. And three billion, get this, three billion people have no access to the gospel. Three billion people still in the world today have no access. So access is defined as basically there's no church, there's no Christian, there's no Bible, there's nothing like that around three billion people in the world. 81% of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists don't even know a Christian. So there's a lot of work to be done yet, church. There is a lot of work to be done yet. And again, that's what this is all about. This is all about making a faith promise, sending, helping to send out workers 
into the field. You know, what, what did Jesus say about the fields? Do you remember in, in John 4, the fields are ripe for harvest. The harvest is plentiful. There's a, there's a plentiful harvest of souls in these ripe fields that are out there. But then he said this in, in Luke 10, he said, but the workers are few. Right? Um, the, so, so the issue isn't the size of the field. The fields are, are, are many. The fields are full of crops. The fields are ripe. The issue is that we have fields that are ripe and a harvest that is plentiful, but few workers to go out. Now, if you were a farmer, you stood up on a hill and you looked in every direction for miles around, it's one thing if you just saw fields all around you, you know, you had limited equipment because it was just you, you know, and, and you're, you know, a, one combine, a truck. Um, so it's one thing if you saw these fields all around you. It's a completely different thing if you saw fields that with ripe grain all around you, right? How would you be able to get out there and harvest all of that grain on your own? And so, you know, that's the kind of scenario um, that we're looking at. You know, in that first scenario, you'd be happy that you were only, because if, if you just saw fields, you're like, oh, good, because I'm by myself, I can't do, you know, this is perfect. But in the second scenario, with very few workers, it seems like an overwhelming task. Luke 10.2 says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We need to see more workers being sent out to reap the harvest that is waiting. We need to be prepared to do whatever it takes to raise up and send out more workers into the harvest field. So let's pray uh, this morning. Uh, let's obey the scripture and what it says here. Um, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would raise up workers for the harvest field. Lord, we, we beseech you. We, we don't know what else to do other than just recognize there's a need and, and, and talk about it. But God, you see it. You see the huge need that is out there. You see the ripe harvest of souls, Lord God. And, and God, I pray that you would help us to see it. I pray that you would help each one of us to see it this morning and respond in a way that's meaningful. Help us, Lord, to say, you know, how can we respond? Is it, is, it you, is it me that you're sending, Lord? Is it me that you're calling? If not, then what is it you would have me to do? God, I pray each one of us, our hearts would be open to do whatever it is that you're asking us to do. Lord, you raise them up and we'll send them out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. How does God, how does that work? Well, how does that work exactly, right? How does God send out workers into the harvest? Have you ever thought, I, w- I was studying this, I was looking at this, and I was like, you know, what, is that, what does that look like, you know, uh, when God does that? And so Acts 13, um, I think there's going to be a scripture up here and on the screen, but you can, you can look at that, certainly Acts 13. So what we have here is a picture of the first, basically the, the first time in scripture where the church is actually sending out missionaries, right? There was missionary activity happening before this, but this is kind of like how it happens like within the church context. Acts 13, 1 through 3, and I'm just going to start here. I think it's verses 2 and 3. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So we have three actions that are happening here um, of missionary activity. So, so missionary sending kind of requires these three things. The first thing is God calls, 
right? So, so God said, you know, I have called Barnabas and Saul. He had put something specifically in Barnabas and Saul's heart uh, that he wanted them to do. And so as they were fasting and praying, and there were all these other people that are mentioned, I think, in verse 1, you know, and, but it was Barnabas and Saul that he had called. Not, not anybody else, right? He had called uh, Dan Libby, right? He had called the Novosads, the Hubbles. You know, he had called specific people. The second thing he says, set apart for me to the work that I have for them. So, so there's a setting apart. When somebody gets that call in their life, then there's a setting apart for a work, right? So who knows what you'd been doing before that. You know, in this church, they were fasting and praying. I'm sure they were doing other work as well. Paul was a tent maker. He's probably making tents or something. But now it's like, no, no, no. Now set apart for me for this other work. So there's, there's a setting apart that happens. You have a, you're going to have a new job that's going to require new skills for your life. Maybe language. You have to learn a new language for that. Right, if you're going to go to the Ukraine, you've got to learn maybe how to speak that language or else, you know. And so there, there's a new job that I'm setting you apart for that's going to require new skills. And they are now uh, put into kind of like this missionary system, we'll call it, right? Because we have one today. I'm sure back then it was really different. <laughs> and we're not going to follow that because that was a unique time and place. But now we have a, a different system. So now people that are feeling called are put into some kind of system of training and, and learning. And, and, you know, there's just different things that need to happen. And then the third thing is they were sent off. So, so the church sends them, right? So, so in the scripture it says, and the church sent them off. And so called, set apart, sent out. And you know what? All of those are equally important. All of those are just as equally important. And, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, we think of this calling as probably being the most, well, sure, yeah, we need people that are called. But if those people aren't trained <laughs> to go do the work, it ain't going to go very well. And I will say this, if they're not sent out, they're not going to be out there very long. And so we need people behind us that are going to send us, send us well. Um, you know, so we, we see a pattern in Scripture, or I'm sorry, we see a pattern in Scripture where people didn't just up and go. They didn't just up and leave. Um, you know, uh, Kenny's listening to this, and now he's like, man, I'm going to go. Hey, next week we're like, hey, where's Kenny? We're supposed to do this other thing. Oh, he left. You know, he got excited about India, so he just up and left. And we're like, Kenny, uh, that's not the way. There goes Kenny. All right. See you, Kenny. Have fun. Kenny's going to be coming back soon if he just does that. Um, so, by the way, I don't know if you knew this, but Kenny can cut a rug, y'all. Like, I was at a wedding reception where Kenny was out on that dance floor. Wow. At a, the Hubbles had a wedding. Kenny was out there just, you know, selling. You know, it wasn't just like he was dancing like right in here. He was, he was, did you call it the Schwartz shake? I can't remember. I can't remember what you called it, but uh, you guys will have to ask him about that at some time. I'm sorry. I know we're not supposed to dance, but Kenny. So think about this. You know, Jesus had the apostles with him for three years, training them, helping, answering their stupid questions. Not like we have stupid questions, but 
you know, helping them. For three years, they were with him before, you know, they were sent out. You know, the Apostle Paul was actually trained. He, he was in Jerusalem. Then he spent three years in the desert being trained before he was sent out. You know, when God called me in, in 1995 in Lincoln, Nebraska, I was applying to uh, some, other, some other schooling, you know, to go into some, do some medical work. And God called me. I didn't go out into Chi Alpha. I didn't go to North Carolina until 2000. There was five years of, in t- of training, of biblical training, of heart training, of ministry training that I needed. I had to do an internship. You know, when those of us who have been called have been trained and already, the church then comes along and sends them out, which is an extremely vital role. You know, when, when the church helps send out, I'm telling you what, this right here is an extremely vital role. You guys, I, I, I go and look at, at, the, at, at the missionaries you support, and I just think of, you know, those people wouldn't be out doing what God has called them to do if people like you weren't sending them out. It's just, the, that's just the reality. That's just the truth. And um, we wouldn't have been able to do, you know, the things that God has called us to do, you know, previously and now. There's no way had we not had churches like you sending us. In fact, there's a real strong argument from Scripture itself in Romans 10. If you want to look at that, it will be on the screen here. Romans 10, through 13 through 15, that the sending is just as important as the going. In Romans 10, Paul is making this argument, and it's a, and it's a, really, it's a really good argument. He says, you know, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? We believe that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But... How can they call on him to save them unless they have believed in him? And how can they believe in him if, and if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? How will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Um, and th- that is why scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Let's reword that a little bit. Every person who is in an unreached people group who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. The three billion people who have no access to the gospel, if, if they call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved, right? We believe that. How will they call on Jesus to save them unless they believe in him? And how will the, these three billion with no access believe in Jesus if they've never heard about him? And how can they all hear about Jesus unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? How can Curtis and Teresa Hubble go tell the Ukrainians about Jesus without being sent out by the church? It, it won't happen unless they are sent out by the, How can the college campuses in America be transformed unless someone is sent out by the church to go tell them about Jesus? So, so here's, here's a motto. I've kind of come up, a generic motto for us as the church. It's not necessarily for a specific church, your church, but a specific, you know, it's a generic kind of motto. To those who have been called by God to preach the gospel, who have been trained and vetted by trusted sources, we as a church will do everything we can to send them with all available resources. Amen? To those who have been called by God to preach the gospel, who have been trained and vetted by trusted sources, we as a church, the church is the people, it's not a building, okay? We as the church will do everything we can to send them with all available resources. That needs to be the hard attitude of us as a church. That we will do whatever we can do, even make sacrifices to see the gospel message go forward.
Now, there's, there's ways we can do this. If Tim needed a van, we had an extra one or whatever. Hey, Tim, you know, we're, we're not using, you know, you can use this van. If Tim was coming, you know, and he needed some people to go with him to India or whatever, and people were like, hey, I'll go. Okay, we have, you know, we have other material resources. We have people resources. But then there's the funding that people need. People need uh, funding in order to do this. And so that's why we're here to talk about what a faith promise is. It's not what I can do. It's what God can do through me, right? This isn't what I, I'm not making a faith promise because I can do this, but it's what God can do through me. It's what God is, is telling me to do. And so keep that in mind. I'm, what I, um, I can't tell you exactly what you should do on there. I can't say, well, what did you do last year? Well, why don't you increase that by five? I don't know. I don't know where your, what your situation is like. I don't know what God is speaking to your heart. Um, but there are some principles in Scripture about making a faith promise that I want to uh, quickly kind of uh, go through here as, as we end. So five biblical giving principles. Uh, give generously, give purposely, give cheerfully, give proportionately, and give sacrificially. Now, one of these Two of these, all five of these may speak to you. Maybe some of these will challenge you. I I don't know. Again, because I don't know your heart. I don't know your situation at all. But I'm hoping that at least one of these will speak to you and challenge you, maybe if you haven't been challenged before. So the first one is give generously. And so the statement is, by faith, we will give generously. By faith, I will give generously generously is what you're saying by making a faith promise. And so generous giving isn't just, again, just isn't just giving as much more than you did last year. It's giving as much as you're able to give, right? Second Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says this, remember, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. By the way, the word in the Greek is actually hilarious. I think it's actually the Greek word is hilarious. Loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So, so you plant generously, you reach a crop, you share with others. Um, you know, one of, the, one of my favorite uh, stories about generous giving is I, I have the privilege of leading a, uh, a conference every January over Martin Luther King weekend. It's our winter conference for Chi Alpha students in the southern part of our area. Uh, for, for about 25 or so campuses, students come together for this conference. It's an awesome time. I love it. But the one thing we do that I've started, that we did from the very beginning is we take up an offering for some kind of missions endeavor. For, for us, we've done this, I think, now six years. And for, for all the six years, we, uh, I don't know if you know what Feed One is. It's a, it's a uh, feeding program through Convoy of Hope. So if you've heard of Convoy of Hope, they have a feeding program around the world called Feed One. And we have decided to take up an offering for Feed One every year so our college students can understand what it means to be generous givers and to be challenged to be givers in life. Not just receivers, not just takers. It's, all, all of us, it's easy for us to be that way, isn't it, especially college students. Um, 
but we want them to be givers because God is a giver first and foremost for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for us. And so we want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to be a giver. And so we have uh, a feed one presentation. Um, we have this crazy guy named Solomon Wong. I don't know if you know, um, he, he, he now heads up feed one. That's his job. And he came and, um, you know, did the whole thing. I married the Wong woman, you know, and everything. We all laughed, um, told his story and our college students responded. How much do you think college students raised in one offering for Feed One, over $53,000 they gave for Feed One because they have a heart to give. And, I, and Shelly and I, you know, when we do this, we'll have students that will come up to us with tears in their eyes the next morning or something saying, is it too late to give because God is, I've been saving this $1,000 for this, but here's a check for $1,000 that I want to give. You know, and that to me is what giving generously is all about. Um, the next one was give purposely. By faith, we will give purposely. So if you look back at 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 that we were just reading, uh, verse 7a says, you must decide in your heart how much to give, right? You, you, you must decide in your heart how much to give. So what you're, what you're going to do is you're going to say, hey, I'm going to make a faith promise, and that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to purposely make sure that money is set aside for the missions offering. That's purposeful giving. Listen, God created you, gave you a thinking mind to do things like this and to have purposeful giving. So, so, so do it. Don't, don't always expect, you know, to come and be challenged or moved or whatever. No, no, no. Make a, make, be purposeful in your giving. You know, that's, that's actually a good thing. It's, uh, it's something that God commands us to do. The next one is give cheerfully. <laughs> By faith, we will give cheerfully, joyfully, hilariously, right? Um, so in the, in the second part of that verse, it says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I love that. I think that's the new living. Uh, don't, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Um, it says this in the Amplified Version, for God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. Because if you give in, in response to pressure, your heart's not in your gift. You're going to go, have you ever had buyer's remorse? You ever bought something, you're like, oh, crap, why did I do that? You know, can I return that? You know. You're going to go home after somebody pressured you to give, and you're going to be like, man, why did I do that? You know, but God loves somebody whose heart is in their gift. God wants your heart to be in your giving. You know, the Bible says, um, if, you, if you remember this, I, I, I'm, it's somewhere in Matthew, I believe. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Right? And so, you know, where is your treasure placed? Where, where is your treasure? We're going to talk about that here in a second. Give proportionately. By faith, we will give proportionately to our income and our, and our, and our excess. First uh, Timothy 6, 17 through 19, I'm going to read this real quick. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so, they may, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. 
So it talks about those who are rich to be generous with their wealth. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1, 1 through 2, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up to give it as an offering, in keeping with your income. So, so Paul doesn't put a hard and fast rule on percentages, but say our, our giving should be in proportion to the extra that we have, to the, to the money that we, hate, that we have. I'm not going to limit someone to a certain percentage because some people can actually give 50% of what they have and should because God is asking them to. I'm not telling you to. Don't ask me. Ask God what he wants you to do. You know, some people, because of their income and their expenses, are just able to give more, and that's what the Bible is saying. You know, I make $2 million a year, not me, but this is an example. Kenny will say, um, <laughs> what are you paying him? Um, if someone makes $2 million, $2 million a year, um, their tithe, you know, 10% is uh, $200,000. So, hey, I need the $1.8 to live on, man. You know, now I don't make that kind of money, but I doubt it. I, I don't think now, maybe you're messed up with your expenses then or something. I don't know. But, but what does that look like for somebody? Again, proportionate giving. When God, because God has blessed you with that, whatever that income is, whatever that amount is, God is the one who's providing it for you. And you know, we have to have that view that God provides it all. So it's all the Lord's. So the question then becomes, what does God want us to do with it? What does God want us to set aside, you know, in, in different things? And as he brings the increase, what does he want us to do with that, you know, proportionately? And again, I'll say the opposite. You know, I don't want to pick on, you know, the, the faux wealthy people out there, but there may be people who are strapped. You know, maybe you, you have a lot of expenses, man, very little income. But so what is God speaking to you? Again, you know, it's this, it's the, we're the body of Christ for a reason. We're a community of people because there are some who can give more and there's some who can't give as much. And that's the way God has designed it. And um, so again, I don't know who you are, where you're, where you're fitting into that, um, but that's just the way that God designed it. And then the last one here is sacrificial giving. By faith, by faith, we will give sacrificially. Uh, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more in than all the others who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had, all she had to live on. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus sacrificed everything for us. And the question to, left to us is, will, what will we sacrifice? What will we give uh, in return? It's not, a, it's not an exchange of any kind. You know, he's not saying, hey, since I did this, you need to know. No, no, no. It's all his. But what's he, what's he putting on your heart? What's he pricking your heart for? And I just want to brag on my wife uh, kind of as a last story here. You know, um, so, you know, maybe some people you think maybe we're exempt from, from all this. You know, we're missionaries. So, no, we, we attend a church that does the exact same thing. And we get challenged every year and have for the entire years of our marriage, I think. You know, we, we're challenged every year to look at that and then have a discussion. Okay, what are we going to do? How much, are, how much are we going to, uh, to give? And so, you know, we're, we're thinking about that. How can we do all of those things, you know, 
thinking about who we are in scripture. We uh, moved to Lincoln nine years ago and bought a house that needed some fixing up. How many of you have put money into projects you did not want to pay for in your house? We've had way more than those uh, in this house, and I, I don't want to tell you all of those were, but, but she had wanted to get new floors. Ever since we had moved in, it needed new floors and, and flooring, and I'm, I'm a guy who can live in a cave, so I was fighting it. We don't need new floors, you know, so she finally talked me into it. We had saved up some money for uh, us to get new floors last year, and so we were at Faith Promise Sunday last year at our church, Christ Place Church in Lincoln, and... Uh, Shelly, we get in the car on the way home, and she says, <clears throat> she says, I, I think God wants me to give that money that I, we've been saving up for the floors to missions. And I'm like, wow. And listen, my wife hears from God, right? So, so I didn't question that a bit. I knew this was the Lord. Uh, it was, can I just say this? It was more about us than it was about maybe somebody needing, needing the money. Hey, if I had this much money, you know. No, it was more about what God was speaking to us and where, where our treasure truly was. And God was challenging us. You know, once again, you know, it feels like sometimes it, sometimes it never ends, the challenge, you know, that comes with, with all of this. And, uh, and so we had decided, okay, God, We'll do this, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, wrote a check or whatever, paid online, I can't remember, but, you know, gave that, gave that money away, you know, and I wish I could, church, I wish I could stand up here and tell you, you know, if, if you do this, God will do these things for you, and you know, you'll have this and this, and that's not the way it works, you know, it just, it's not God's, I don't know what he's speaking to you right now to do. I don't know what he's asking you to do, what numbers he's asking you to put on this. But I can tell you this, whatever he's asking you to do, he will be faithful in your life. And maybe like me, you know, if you're, I don't know, maybe you're expecting some, uh, if I give materially, I'll get material. Sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's something that he needs to do inside in your heart. So again, I don't know what it is, but would you, would you just pray with me? If you have this, take it out. Um, take it out and uh, let's just pray. Lord, I, I pray, God, that you would speak to each one of us. What is it, Lord? What is it you would have us to do? God, um, you know, you've, you've put a $100,000 goal in, in Pastor Rex's heart. God, what is it you would have us to do to, you know, as a church, Lord, to make a faith promise? Lord, how much is it you're asking me as a person to put down here? God, I pray that you would right now just speak. Just speak to people, Lord, individuals, to families. Um, I pray, God, that you would speak, you know, to husbands, to wives, to the kids that are here, Lord God, that they wouldn't be, none of us are exempt from this, Lord God. I pray that you'd speak to each heart here, Lord, and help us to, to hear from you and to know what it is you're calling us to do. Amen. Well, thank you, Brad. Great word. Great word. So, yeah, give him a hand. I appreciate that. So the way the AG works, we do faith promises. And I'm going to ask you to fill this out. And then there's a little tear-off tag on there. If you will drop this big part into the, uh, 
offering box on the way out, or if you want to grab one and bring it back next week, do that. Uh, we'll tally these up. This little tear-off tab is for you to keep. And you will not get an email from Cindy or myself or any of the board members saying, hey, you promised this, you didn't do this. Uh, we don't keep up on that. That's between you and the Lord. That's why it's called a faith promise. Uh, but this is just something that we want you to ask the Lord what to do. And, and there's lots of ways that we give as the assemblies. We have uh, Speed the Light. Our youth made a $10,000 goal to Speed the Light this year. I think that's incredible. Uh, Kenny's sweating a little bit because that was a big faith promise. Uh, but that's a huge thing. And Speed the Light buys vehicles for our missionaries. Uh, if you go overseas, you see why they need these things. Uh, we have a family member who's a part of another church organization. He's a missionary. He said when AG missionaries leave the field, he said, we buy their old stuff because their old stuff's better than what we get. And he said they are the most well-equipped missionaries in the world because of Speed the Light. Life for the Lost. Uh, this church has a great history of Life for the Lost. That buys literature that missionaries need to go out and do the work. BGMC, our kids giving, gives uh, equipment and projectors and all that stuff that our missionaries need. Guys, we want to equip these guys as they are sent. And so we're asking you to take this and drop it in the offering or next week. You guys watching online, if you want to make a faith promise, send us a message through Facebook or email. Uh, we'll add that to ours and we'll let you know here in the next couple weeks what that added up to. But our goal in the next couple of years is to $100,000. How amazing would that be for our church to add $100,000 in missions giving? Because literally you guys are making a difference all over the world and, and here at home as well. So... Thank you for being faithful. Thanks for doing this. I'm going to ask you to fill one of these out. Take it. You can see our scribbling on the back uh, where our different giving is going to go. And, and we do this too. We give. And God stretches all of us. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to dismiss you guys. The Novosides have a table out here. So if you want to go out and hang out with these guys, talk to them. Uh, if you want to ask Pastor Kenny about the short shuffle, I'm sure he will show you that out in the parking lot. <laughs> so funny story. Uh, I can tell you another part of that story too if you want to see it. But uh, we were there at the wedding. It was a lot of fun. So, Lord, we thank you today for the chance to celebrate what you're doing, for the chance to be a part of what you're doing around the world. Thank you for our online family that has a part in that as well. Lord, I pray that you would drop in our hearts what you want to do. And, Lord, as we go today, I pray you bless our church family. Lord, bless our homes, our health, relationships, finances. But, Lord, more than else, we ask that you would make us your hands and feet to this community around us. You would help us to change the world through what you've done in us. In Jesus' name, amen.